Welcome to the King's Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your host, and joining me, Sean Cunningham. What's going on, Sean? Not much. It's it's one of these like uh, dreary kind of days in Sacramento, and I know you're up the hill a little ways, and uh, it's it's kind of funny to to see rain in the forecast after not seeing it for so long. And every time it does, it, it, people will say, "Oh, Sean, you just woke up." No, I didn't wake up. This is, this is the, like my mood changes the way these the way the with the weather. Anyway, I'm I'm rambling, but yeah, the weather is kind of it always kind of plays a role on the mood a little bit. So a little dreary day. I could have stayed in bed all day. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I was outside, um, building like a new stand for my podcast station in the corner here in the bar. Um, and it started raining on me I had to go put the chop saw away and make sure I didn't get any of my tools wet. So yeah, I know it's random, but yeah, I, I'm building like a little tabletop so I can, uh, you know, so it's just a little more functional here in my corner. Uh, got some new equipment coming stuff like that. Just doing more radio now, Sean. So Love that's it. what you got to do. Right. Yeah. And, and of course, you always give yourself a project. The, the contractor in you doesn't know any better and just has to take yeah. on all these projects. So good yeah, for you. it's it's funny. Um, my he's now 14. Uh, I think he was in sixth grade. He had to come up with an invention. And basically he he made with his grandpa, he made uh, like a long stick with uh, numbers along the edge. And on the end, it has a a, a pencil uh, screwed into like an L bracket. So basically you can move along and it's got all your, your measurements on the inside and you just drill a screw through into the middle of a board and you can make a circle with it. So that's, so I actually used it to cut out circles here for my, for my new little tabletop. Uh, Cause I, people don't know, but like in the corner of my room here, uh, I have a, a wine barrel that I sit behind and that's kind of where I, I do my thing. But normally I have like boxes and books stacked up uh, with my laptop on top. So it's at, at a good height. So letting you in a little bit on the yeah, craziness. Yeah. So I, I see you've done some stuff behind you on your wall. Um, we're going to do video <laughs> like we're like very soon. We're going to do video for all of these. Um, we might even post some video from this one. Um, but it's just a process, just like getting intro music and stuff like that. So we're we're building out on the fly here, Sean. Eventually we're going to have a full grown, all grown up adult type podcast that people are going to really like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It won't be a, a podcast, uh, like a ridiculously simple podcast that, uh, we're working on here. Okay. So let's just cover a couple of business, uh, business things. Uh, number one, thank you so much for all of those people who have subscribed to the King's beat, uh, the King's beat, the newsletter, um, and I, you know, so far it's gone really, really well. I think everyone who's jumped on board, uh, not only like your standard subscribers, but I even have some paid subscribers. So thanks for that. Uh, we're going to set up the first official, um, Kings beat happy hour, which is going to be super fun. And that goes for the first 50 people who do a paid subscription. And we're getting very close to that. So that's awesome. Um, let's see outside of that. Uh, I think, you know, Sean, let's just dive right into, uh, well, I'll, I'll say this too. If you didn't like Sean and I did a podcast early in the week and the plan for us this season is to post a podcast on Tuesday mornings. And, you know, then later in the week, you're going to get a second podcast, uh, this last week, you know, again, Sean and I did the podcast that went over really well. Thank you everybody for listening and downloading. Um, uh, but then on Friday, 
I was able to land Jerry Reynolds, which I thought was a really cool conversation. I love Jerry, uh, really close personal friend. And I, I hope you enjoyed that. We'll, we will have another, actually, we have a pretty substantial guest this week. And I'm not going to say a name because you know, Sean, how this oh, works out, right? Got to tease it. Gotta Never tease say it. a name because Sean knows as well as I do. As soon as you say a name, uh, they flake and then you're, you're absolutely up a, up a Creek without a paddle. And that's, right. yeah. And in this drizzle of a storm, that might not be a good thing. Um, so anyway, Sean, let's get to it. The Kings are three and three. Um, we're recording this podcast on Monday for a Tuesday release. Uh, they're three and three. They just like, I, I don't know how to describe it. They're, they're like right there. They just can't figure out how to consistently be consistent. And I, I think that, you know, to me, like I look at the schedule and I say, okay, who should they have beat? Like just flat out. Like <laughs> if you were betting, I think for some reason, I think they were favored in Dallas. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but no, who should, yeah. Uh, who should they have beat? And to be honest with you, I, I think the only one that they should have beat was new Orleans. And so I'm okay with three and three. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the trip in itself, I think, we, you know, Luke Walton would go into this road trip as a four-game road trip, and you're hoping that you're going two and two. You're splitting mm-hmm. those because your book ended with the defending Western Conference champion Suns and the Utah Jazz, who are an elite team in the West. Um, and even if you, if you don't consider them elite, you should because they are really, really good. Uh, and it's the second time that you would see the Jazz. So uh, you gave them a pretty good test early on. I think you're going to see a different Jazz team than you saw on your home floor the other night uh, or last week or a little over a week ago. And, you know, going into Utah, the last of a four-game trip before you come home and play the next night against New Orleans again uh, is, an, is intriguing. So I think if you're Luke Walton, you're going two and two. You just write down two and two. This is what your goal would be. This is what you want to hit. Uh, and it, you, you beat Phoenix, <laughs> you lose in Dallas. And I think most people would have thought you would have went Pelicans, Dallas for your wins, lose Suns, Jazz. But this, King, this Kings team has a funny way of playing on the road of the, over the past season and a half. They have a funny way of rising to the level of the competition, which is a habit that probably has plagued this team for about three, four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it starts with De'Aaron Fox, to be completely honest, because a lot of times he'll go into a matchup against a perennial all-star and he'll play pretty well, but it's those Dennis Schroeders and uh, guys like that. Maybe an Alex Caruso that might not be in that top tier that tend to, that he might, I don't know if he lets his foot off the gas or what it is, but maybe they play up to the level of him a little bit and they kind of feed him his lunch a little. Uh, D'Angelo Russell was another guy that, that kind of comes to mind in that regard. I think really the only one that had, that would, that would really, whoop De'Aaron consistently in those matchups is Damian Lillard. Uh, I mean, and even Fox has talked about what a matchup that is, but yeah, to look at the start too, James, I mean, you would know this better than me. I haven't looked, I know it's among the toughest schedules that they've had, but the thing that blows me away is how you're going to have like eight straight Western conference opponents. Uh, And I, I think that I, so to get a real read on this in terms of who they should have beat, or maybe who you can pencil in a win or a loss for, is really kind of a tough thing. And I think the inconsistency is just because of the level of competition has been so good early on. Okay. So we have a lot to unwrap there because number one, we're going to have a discussion here on Fox and whether fans should be, you know, like stressed out about their number five jerseys or not. Um, (laughs) But there's something else that you mentioned there. And I was looking at the standings uh, yesterday and my thought process was, have we seen the moment where, 
the Eastern conference is better than the Western conference. Like we've been in like this perpetual state, you know, it doesn't like, I'm not saying who's going to win the finals, Mm -hmm. but really the Western conference has been so far superior to the Eastern conference for like, I don't know. It's been like well over two decades. And I mean, you can go back where, you know, the, the teams missed the playoffs with 48 wins, Mm -hmm. you know? So I'm looking at the East and you got like so many teams that are five and one and those teams that are five and one are not the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Atlanta Hawks, which we all know are going to be there. They're going to be very, very good. So that it becomes like this, are we seeing a change? And I know the West is still tough. I know, you know, again, you look at just who Fox and Mitchell and Halliburton have gone up against every single night. It's like almost star, 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 superstar level player every single night at the guard position. But it kind of feels like we're starting to see that, that moment where maybe the Eastern conference is the more dominant conference. Yeah. I mean, I kind of think we stopped, we started to see that a little bit last year, to be honest. I'm not saying just because the bucks won the championship, but I felt like more of the intriguing matchups were in the East. Yeah. Uh, it, it just, it, some of the more entertaining series ended up being that way. Um, so I think a lot of that has to do with just kind of, you talked about just the shift. I think it's slow. I think it will be that way, but that's not to say that the West isn't crowded. Right. I think it's still, you just have the, the have and the have nots in the East, you know, but right now, like you said, through the first two weeks of the season, you've got a lot of teams that have just been so good early on. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with just some of the schedules. Some of them are, the schedules are really kind of interesting. Like I'm just going to bring it back to the Kings for a minute. We mentioned like the eight straight against Western foes, but you're getting a lot of repeat matchups. Think of last year. Kings hadn't played the Utah jazz until the final two months of the season. And then you played them in a three, in a three, three series stretch. And it was like over the course of three weeks, you saw the jazz the entire part of the season. You're going to have them twice already. Uh, early on think of the Warriors too like typically now you're going to get the Warriors four times in a year but on your home floor you're getting them in the beginning of the season and at the end of the season and ironically it's two Sunday night games that are at six o'clock every other Sunday night game for the Kings is around three o'clock in the afternoon if it's played at home so just these odd little quirks um, I I, I know they want to put I know the league has done a good job of putting important matchups up front and they do that because you know, there's a lot of the casual NBA fan who says that the NBA season doesn't start until Christmas Day. Well, this is why you're seeing, you know, the Dallas-Denver game early on in the season. But as it translates, that game was straight trash. It was a 30-point blowout, and the Kings, yep. the Kings got a different Dallas team than what played in Denver the night before. So uh, these are the opportunities. And for a, for a team who's likely going to be in the mix for that play-in tournament, this is where your bread is buttered, right? This is where you have to strike in order to be relevant at the end of the season. And I think so far, so good. I think, look, if you're kind of toiling around the, the 10 to eight to maybe even seven, you're likely pretty close to a 500 basketball team and three and three, you're a 500 basketball team. So it's the inconsistencies I think are going to be there. Um, but I think the one thing that's just standing out that for me is at least the effort defensively through two weeks of the season and a whole training camp and preseason still seems to be there. It hasn't waned at all. And I think, I think that's a very positive sign as you go forward with, with what's coming up in the weeks ahead. Yeah. I looked at a defensive rating on, on basketball reference earlier today and their defensive rating is like 110.6, something like that. Um, 
I, the funny thing is they're still not in the top 20. Right. Uh, at least I, I, don't, I don't think it's really close to be honest with you. Um, but last season, their defensive rating was like 118.6, something like that. It was, it was atrocious. So that also tells us that scoring is down and, and sort of offensive like efficiency is down early in the season, which mm-hmm. is interesting to think about because it's not usually that way. Usually offenses are way ahead of defenses. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the Kings, you know, their net rating is like the difference between their offensive rating and their, their defensive rating. They're still like a negative two, uh, but they're playing much better. And to, to be honest, I didn't think their offense would have struggles like it has, especially closing out games. They're yeah. still trying to formulate who and what they are in the last like five minutes of a game. And I know fans just get so incredibly upset about that. Um, but it's not for a lack of effort, you know, like I think in every game that, that that's come down to the wire uh, that they've lost, I think Buddy Heald has made like such an egregious turnover in the last two minutes of a game that you just sit there and put your face, you know, in your palms. Like, it's just like, I can't believe I just saw that. Um, we saw it again. And then, you know, like he did it against Dallas and then he ran back. He stole the ball back, got it right back. (laughs) They were going to double team him again and take the ball from him again. And then he did the wise thing, which was to give a little bounce pass to, uh, to De'Aaron Fox for a wide open three. And Sean, I think that's where we're going to go with this conversation. De'Aaron Fox like I, there are a certain group of fans that are starting to panic and I'll say, I mean, it's six games into the season. You can't, you can't panic six games into a season, but should you be, should you be concerned? I know we've asked the Kings, we've asked Luke Walton, we've asked Aaron, you know, and, and if people don't know that we've asked those questions, they should know that we have, like it's been out there. We have asked those questions just like uh, random people like asking why, why Marvin Bagley isn't playing. I don't have any, like, I'm not going to sit here and go over why Marvin Bagley is not playing once <laughs> again. That's, that's been asked and answered like 50 times. If, if you didn't get the memo, that's because you're, you're not like, paying attention. Yeah. You're not paying attention or you hadn't like an out of office reply because everyone else got the memo why this is happening. So, but with Fox, first of all, like the three point shooting is just, it's just dreadful. And, and the, uh, the free throw shooting is it's even worse. Uh, if that can be, I mean, he's shooting, I think 17%, something like that from three, and he's shooting around 50 something percent from the, the free throw line. That tells me one thing that this is not physical. It's not because he bulked up too much. It's, it's mental. He's got it in his own head a little bit. And, you know, so, so again, I don't have any concerns about Fox. I know there's only, there's going to come a point where he just slips into who he is and, and we're going to see it. The transformation will happen. I'll be like, okay. He's averaging, you know, 24, 25 a game and he's bringing it every single night. But for right now, where are you at with him? Yeah, like I don't have the the I can't put the the psychology hat on either and try and dissect him. And I think even when Luke and even De'Aaron himself, when they talk about his inconsistencies and what they'd like to see, the reason they don't panic is because you've you've seen Fox be there before. And even if it is Fox, like we talked about it last week, even if it is him trying to adapt to a better a different role where he doesn't have the ball in his hands all the time and playing the off guard position 
Um, that could be a little bit of a, of a, of a reason for it, but it's also your five years in, right? And so your team looks a little bit different. Teams go about at you a little bit different. Sometimes it does take that little bit of a ramp. We were talking about off air about Rashawn Holmes, right? And mm-hmm. I think we would all agree that Rashawn Holmes is playing some unbelievable basketball right now, uh, living up to the, some of the expectations we had coming into the season. But if you rewound just a few weeks ago in training camp, people were like, oh my God, what's up with Rashawn Holmes? Did he get the bad back from the big contract? Not even that it's a big contract, but it's a big contract for, for him and, and obviously for his summer and rewarding him for his, his exceptional play in Sacramento. But back to De'Aaron, it's like, I think people don't panic because it is a small sample size. Mm-hmm. You know what he's, what he, and he's out there. He's t- it's not like he's forcing bad shots. I, look, every player in the league is trying to adapt to this new officiating, which I think is great. I think the product of play on the court is great. It's not being slowed down with all these free throws. I think from a fan and a, just an, an overall enjoyment, uh, the games are unbelievably entertaining right now. Uh, I think that there is a little bit of an adjustment there, but I don't think it's so much mental for him. I think there might be a little bit of him trying to get into the paint and trying to get to the fouls. And he talked about it the other day before the road trip, which is when he was asked about the officiating and trying to adapt to that. And it might've been your question where he was talking about unnatural movements. He says, I don't have unnatural movements. Yeah. I don't but do there that. Is. Yeah. yeah. But there is, because when you get into the paint and he starts doing this, where he's trying to swoop his arms, just like James Harden or any of these guards have done for the better part of a decade to try to draw a foul. Those are considered unnatural movements. And those aren't going, if you're the, if you're the offensive player trying to initiate the contact, then you're not going to get that call. And that's what they're calling the unnatural movements. So um, it could be a little bit of a, of a learning curve there, but I don't think that's what's contributing to his terrible free throw numbers, which have been there for better part of his career. He got better last year, the past two years, you saw a little bit of an increase there, but again, hopefully it's just a small sample size. A three point shooting is dreadful. It's just dreadful. I almost would rather see him pull up and transition at this point rather than have a wide open three, because you do see the defense sagging. The defense is sagging because (laughs) he's going to blow right by them if he gets into the paint. So when they sag off, they also don't, they don't trust his three point shooting ability. So they're putting them in, but he sees the open shot and he's going to take it. And that's almost a gift for the offense, for the defense right now. So uh, I'm, I I think he's, I don't know if it's a mental case. I don't know if it's in in his head a little bit too much. I just think he needs to go out there uh, and play like the Fox he did before. He still looks like a very confident player. You still see flashes of it. I think we saw the fl- their worst game I thought of the season was that Dallas game, this most recent loss. I thought where where nobody could buy a bucket collectively as a group. And mm-hmm. I thought he helped try to spark some things and get some things going, had some timely buckets. Um, he is getting into the paint a lot. And then what he do, he went to his bread and butter, the pull up right around the free throw and he drains it. So um, that to me is still his best move. Maybe we see a little bit more of that going forward. Yeah. Like when I'm watching, um, he is shooting 61% from, from free throw line. I just looked it up. So he's, he's improved a little bit over where he started the season. And again, he shot, I think he finished last season, 71, 72%. That's not great. I mean, he should be an 80% free throw shooter. And if he just did that, He'd average like a point and a half more per game, at least in previous years. And and I'll also say this, Sean, we know we've been around the league long enough to know the points of emphasis last about two weeks and, <laughs> and then they go away. Like the, the league, they they do this thing where they uh, it used to be they'd show us a video uh, like the media. This is what our points of emphasis. But this is an off the record conversation about the points of emphasis. And then you watch the first game and 
uh, commentate, you know, the guy calling the games like, okay, here are the points of emphasis. It's like, okay. So I thought these were off the record conversations here. Um, But uh, for me, it, it is kind of like, he just feels like he's uncomfortable a lot of the time. And I'll just keep saying this. I I think that I I love the long-term pairing of Fox and Halliburton. And I think it's going to be a better pairing than him and Buddy. But I think right now, if you put Buddy Heald as a starter, this team is better. Uh, And and then have uh, Halliburton running the second team and doing all the things that he does. That doesn't matter. We're looking at what is going to be better for this team long-term. It can't be about the first six or eight games of the season. So I'm also going to point out that Mo Harkless is a a non-entity on the offensive end. Mm -hmm. And so while I love Mo Harkless and I think he's the right player for this team, they need to actually get him, you know, five or six looks from the corners to open things up. And if they don't do that, and if he doesn't hit 32 to 35% of those, then you're going to consistently have teams collapsing the lane on Fox where he can't get in and do his moves and he's not getting any foul calls. Um, I mean, you know, I, I know every time the Kings play the Dallas Mavericks, it's a reminder that they drafted Luca over, uh, over Marvin. Don't Bag- say. <laughs> they drafted Marvin Bagley over Luca, but um, like I watched and it just feels like he gets all these stupid little touch fouls all the time. And then he's screaming and berating officials the whole time. And like Sean, I've said this before, I, like the worst style of basketball to me is watching um, James Harden dribble the air out of the ball when he's moving the ball and he's playing in that in the offense now with the nets. I think he's funner to watch, but I can't stand, you know, it was like the beautiful game is what we saw with uh, Pete Carrill's offense in the, mm-hmm. in the two thousands with the Kings. And I love high quality back cuts and motion and watching Steph Curry is like a dream. I can't oh, handle yeah. watching these guys dribble the air out and watching Luca to me. Like I, I know the Kings would be a better team if they had Luca. What are you saying here, James? You're I don't up on think something. I could handle watching him. Oh, 82, stop. 82 nights a year. I just don't you'd know. Be, you'd be just fine. <laughs> maybe i mean there are some things that he does that are absolutely remarkable but yeah they are he just gets under your skin i mean when like he pulled up and hit that 45 foot three which was like unbelievable the biggest play ever and it was clean i mean i don't even think that thing hit the net i mean it's like it dropped from the ceiling and fell right through the basket <laughs> uh, that was so amazing and you know the first thing is like well should you have I was yelling, trap him, trap him, like, because I knew what he was going to do. And Halliburton was right there. They should have trapped him. And because no one else could have got a shot off that was within 35 feet. Well, Davion would have. Davion Mitchell, if he was on the floor, would have met him at half court. Yeah, yeah. And I I think Barnes did a perfectly fine job. But I always get so frustrated watching, again, you watch Fox, like, was it that game or was it the game before where someone literally jumped on him from behind, like, going to the basket? And he got, oh, it was, it was a Pelicans game. Pelicans uh, game. Yeah. He, he absolutely got mugged and he's on the floor just looking at everybody like, what in the world just happened here? You know, that's not an unnatural move. What was unnatural is a dude running from behind and like tackling him. Um, but then you're watching what Luca gets or, you know, the touch fouls that he gets. And I know it's a superstar league and it is what it is, but still like, I, I do have some sort of angst when I watch him. I, I just, I, I love watching I Luca. 
the funny part is I, I hear people all the time complain of just how much he works the officials. And I asked somebody one time, I said, does he work the officials as much as he's having a conversation with them? Because obviously, look, I mean, I'm not trying to like stick up for him. Like there's, there's moments, he's berating the officials a lot. And we've seen that a lot in people that we've covered over the years, especially DeMarcus Cousins comes to mind. And, and Draymond, and does, watching and Draymond, Draymond Green, yeah. yell and scream at the officials. And then to have Rashawn Holmes get attacked before right. Draymond right. was like, <gasps> Wow. No, there are, there are definitely dudes that have longer ropes, but I, from what I was told too, and it, it, you know, a lot of times it's what Luca is saying to the official, where it's a, it's a constant conversation as opposed to as a berating of the official. Um, you know, I, I think it also tends to look worse with with Luca and someone like Demarcus who have such expressionable faces, where it always looks like Luca's complaining because he has this crybaby type face. Demarcus kind of had a scowl in this in this awful face where it's like. You know, it, it just looks a different way. Um, but yeah, it's a star driven league. These guys are going to get long ropes the, as long as six feet with these people. It's crazy. So yeah, Rashawn Holmes says one little thing and there are magic words out there. And I don't even think Rashawn even said a magic word, to be honest. I think it, it was just a demonstrative act and he gets teed up. So um, I don't know. It, it is it is interesting. I, I, I feel like, you know, people will put the opposition through a, a hell of a microscope. When, especially when it comes to somebody like Luca, right? And then if you, the minute he's on your team, it's a whole different ball game, and you're like, yeah. oh my god, you know what I mean? Like you're seeing him through rose-colored glasses at that point. So, uh, yeah, I still think he's. I saw some. I saw some people on Twitter even during the. And again, that's the worst place to crowdsource. But just <laughs> not only, not only. What do you just mean? Ab- yeah, that's where just- Pete D'Alessandro was all the time crowdsourcing. <laughs> it didn't work out so well. I mean, no. you, you really look out. You, you just see, okay, gosh, you, you got people who are just killing Luca. We get it. We get it. We get it. And then they're looking at the Kings game, and I'm like, they're talking about the effort in the Dallas game, and I'm like, you realize they're not shooting, right? Like, like they're they were in that game, and they couldn't buy a bucket, and they couldn't really even get to the free throw line. So it's like. I felt the effort was actually fantastic because I think we've seen in previous seasons where a game like that and they'd be down 20 and they would have just let go of the rope. Yeah, I I think so too. And and I'll tell like one of those moments where we can stop and, and have a conversation about things that have happened to us in locker rooms and stuff. Um, DeMarcus cousins, especially once he got comfortable with you, he would look at you in, in post game, like while he was sitting in his locker well before he, got dressed and ready mm. and he would uh he would give you the hey come see me and he would like you know the f- the finger like come on over here you know um and one time he pulled me over he goes hey how come you always talk about like the look on my face he's like just because i look angry doesn't mean i am angry and i'm like really man <laughs> really like I-, I get what you're trying to say but i don't like you look angry and you play angry. And most of the time you're angry. Like, like I've been around you enough to know that like you're a bit of a curmudgeon. And so like, but those are things where like he did, he did that so often. Like one time he pulled me over and he goes, Hey, I just got a tech. Um, I mean that tech in the game. Do you think I deserve that? And I said, actually the play that you got it on, I did not think you deserved it. But the previous like six plays, uh, you were yelling at the officials the whole time. And I thought you deserved it each one of those times. And they they gave you that leash that we're talking about, that long rope. And then finally they'd had enough when you said something. And I said it was an accumulation. He goes, okay, that makes sense. 
Right. So, and that's that's one of the best things about him is he would usually, you know, he'd look at it and it through a different lens once it was hindsight, right? Yeah. Uh, he, he would kind of hold himself a little bit more accountable. Some of the things that I used to kind of cringe at knowing DeMarcus the way I did is when people would bring up some triggering words like body language, uh, maturity, um, anger, any of those, if you had any of the mix of those words in any kind of sentence, the, 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 his physique would just shut down. The body language would just shut down. He would, he would automatically come at you a little different way in terms of uh, his response because it, it, it just triggers something with him. So uh, I, I get it. And it's stuff that he's heard his whole life. And and I remember him telling me one time, he's like, it's not my body language. I'm just an ugly dude. Like I wear a scowl on my face. Like, you know, and even when he's tried to, even when he tries to throw a flashy smile, it looks like the smile was forced. So yeah, I get it. And and it's, uh, but it like it or not, it plays, it, it's part of your story. It tells the story and, you know, DeMarcus will hold himself accountable. He knows he wasn't the, necessarily a, a choir boy out there on the floor with the officials. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I, you know, we uh, partially brought him up because Michael Malone just said, you know, I just can't believe that DeMarcus isn't in the league. And, and then I look at Michael right. Malone. I think he's right. I agree. But I also look at Michael Malone and say, okay, well then open a roster spot and get him on your team. Like, Michael didn't have that control though. Yeah, uh, but sure. he does. I mean, it's, he it's, do. it's hilarious because I actually went the minute he said that I said, let me look at your roster real quick. Yeah. And there was probably two dudes. I would have been like, yeah, Marcus would fit in just fine here. Um, but you're also playing at altitude and Demarcus can't necessarily look. I know he's healthy. He's a bigger dude. <laughs> it would he's he's uh, one of the things I said about Demarcus that I, I stand by even to this day is every year of his career, he got better in shape. Uh, it probably wasn't the peak condition that everybody would want um speaking as a bigger dude myself but it's like he 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 constantly got better in in his in his uh in his body and when you experience the injuries you do people are going to talk about your lateral quickness your mobility there mm-hmm. are certain limitations he's not the demarcus cousins we've seen before but i do feel with his skill level there's definitely a place in the league and uh but it comes down to stuff that's all off the court people associate you with just being quite frankly a dick um, you know, and it's, it's stuff that you have to overcome. And for him, his talent for the mo- better part of his life has been able to overcome some of those things. Now it's like, okay, is the talent worth the headache? And it's not. And some people will still consider him to be the bigger headache than he is the talent at this point in his life. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I'm just saying what I feel like is the narrative out there about him. The league is as much as people will say the league is going away from those, those dominant centers, everybody still drafts them. We're still talking about guys who have the skill set that he does at the at the size that he is. Maybe not as heavy as he is, but um, I, I honestly think he can help a lot of teams. I don't think I heard at one point he could go to China. Uh, I still think that could happen. Um, I think people are scared to to bring him on and, and and you know not know what he can provide. I think he played fine with the Clippers. <clears throat> I, th- I think it'll be interesting to see if he uh, gets on to with another team because uh, I think there's several teams he could really help. I really do. Yeah. I think, I think there are teams that he could help too. So we got sidetracked there. I, oh, I did yeah. not expect it wasn't in the, in the game notes here that we would have <laughs> a, a DeMarcus cousins conversation or that uh, Sean would call him a, a Richard right in the middle <laughs> of it. <laughs> um, but at the same time, um, I, you know, like on occasion, like when you bring up when we're talking about players and who they remind you of and didn't monster to, you know players i mean we spent a lot of time with demarcus like six and a half years like i i came into the league 
like the year he came in, I started covering the league the year he came into the league. And so like, he was always there the first like six and a half years of my career, uh, which is just totally bizarre. And it's been five and a half years. He's been gone, which is totally bizarre too, or five years. So yeah, it, it's, it's totally crazy. All right. Let's getting get old, man. Getting old. Yeah. Let's get back to the Kings talk. Um, we talked about Fox and, and I think both of us believe he'll be fine. And that, you know, Kings fans should just step back from the ledge. You know, it, it's okay. He's going to be fine. He knows what he's doing. He's a good basketball player. He's going to be just fine. Um, Halliburton, I also believe will be fine. But I, at the same time, like he is as frustrating at this point, I think, as Fox is. Because yeah. they're trying to figure out how to be a tandem. And it just it just isn't working on most nights. And the stat that I'll point out, uh, you know, I someone asked me if I was a troll or uh, a fan about. Uh, I tweeted out that Halliburton just missed the most wide open three point shot in NBA history. I, I'll stand by it. I don't think I've ever seen a three point shot where a guy looks up. He's he's at like twenty eight feet. There's no one within fifteen feet of him. He took time to take two dribbles, walk to the three-point line, and still bricked it. Now, I, people were telling me in my feed, oh, he's a slow release. Like, come on. The dude shot like 41-point-something percent from the field last year from three. He shot – he was at 45% for most of the season until he hit the rookie wall and ran out of gas. That is an elite shooter. We watch him shoot all the time. He is elite. And – he not only is he not hitting his shots right now, but Sean, he's taken, I think it's eight or nine less three pointers this season than Davion Mitchell. Mm. Like that's a problem. He's yeah, the sixth. Is. I think coming into the Dallas game, he was sixth on the team in three point attempts. And then he passed Terrence Davis because that's, you know, we'll get to Terrence here in a few minutes, but um, like he's got to pull the trigger. I, I can't, you can't hesitate anymore. He's passed up so many wide open looks and the Kings, they, they need that. That's their offense is to stretch the floor and then attack the rim. And he's doing a great job of creating for guys like Rashawn and stuff, but really he has to shoot more. And I'm wondering, like, do you feel like there's a little bit of a weirdness with the fact that Buddy Hield comes in and just does whatever he wants and just shoots and shoots and shoots and shoots, where everyone else is like, okay, Buddy's coming in. And then so for 30 <laughs> minutes a game out of the 48, you're almost acquiescing to, to Buddy Hield and his and his shot. I mean, he's averaging almost 11 threes a game and he's coming off the bench. I mean, what do you see that that is off to you in Tyrese Halliburton? Well, and I think I'd answer it to me is like, I don't, and it's something I need to ask Luke. I think with Dave Yeager, we kind of knew how he approached games. He kind of broke up the season into like these 10 game increments, right? Five. So, five, yeah. well, yeah, five to a degree. But I think when he would make a, when he would make, I'm trying to think of like an example, but like he would make a, I remember when he had De'Aaron coming off the bench, right? Uh, everyone's like, oh, you got to start Fox. You got to start Fox. And he was looking at, he's like, well, I don't want my guy to get his head kicked in. I don't want him to, you know, lose his confidence, things like that. So he mm -hmm. was trying to go with 10 game increments, with, at least with certain things. Certain guys, he would give a five get like, hey, I'm going to give this guy a look. Let's see what this is like. Some guys, you know, <laughs> like I remember when you, what, they went and traded for Bruno Caboclo, right? And oh, yeah. the whole, 
you know, five years away from being five years away kind of thing. And it's like, literally like, no, I know. And this guy isn't ready in two or three games. You know, it's just, we already know. And James, you mentioned it a minute ago, and I'm actually in agreement with you when it comes to the starting lineup, like Fox and Halliburton are obviously paired together for the future. These are, they make the most sense playing together for the future. And, and it's better. It's bigger than the moment of the now. Right. But the one thing I will disagree in the sense is that I still don't think based off the, makeup of your team that it's smart to have your two playmakers playing together whether you have them starting or not that's fine you have to keep one of them on the floor basically at all times Mm -hmm. especially like you mentioned with buddy healed when he comes in and it's like look buddy's going to try and be the good teammate more times than not but he wants to he's asked to play such a playmaking role because they didn't have playmakers last year um and and i think they're putting him in a better position not to be a playmaker certainly it rears its ugly head sometimes particularly in the fourth quarter and crunch time but i do feel that like you know it's probably better to have tyrese with that second unit have fox start off the game he's got the ball in his hands he sets a tone tyrese can come in whether things go well in the first first few minutes or not i mean fox is typically although we did see him play for the better part of the first quarter the other night but Typically, he's subbed out around the six-minute mark, six, seven-minute mark of the of the first quarter. It looks like he's playing a little bit longer now into the first quarter, which is good. But look, I think it really comes down to playmaking. So what's the sample size? Like, you're talking about Fox's struggles, talking about Halliburton's struggles. I do think Halliburton has been exceptional on the defensive end um, compared to what we've seen early on, I think, because, especially considering he's not the most physical guy. He's so got think, bullied a couple of times, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I think the willingness is there. I think, you know, some of the team defensive concepts is, is actually really working. It could be taking away from some of the stuff on the offensive end. Um, the one thing is I, I just I, – I, I don't know if they're quite ready to be that, especially if you're playing a three-guard lineup. Like, if you're going to play them together, you, you know, Harrison's been playing so well. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, Mo Harkless doesn't really give you much, and no one's respecting his ability to stretch the floor. So – um maybe maybe you make a a switch there i'm not sure what it is but maybe you bring in buddy at the three play harrison at the four you go kind of smaller that way i don't know uh i actually don't think it's the way they start games i think it's just overall the way the rotations are as the game develops and there's often too many times where you know fox and halliburton are on the floor at the same time and they typically have fox off the ball yeah i mean i think that they we do need to like give this team more time to simmer in the pot like i I don't want to have like all these extreme you know again i'll I'll point out that guys like terrence davis guys like mo harkless they came to the the team at the midway point of last season uh well realistically it was with like the final 27 games i think it was Mm -hmm. and then of those final 27 games uh like fox halliburton and and Barnes all missed about 10. And so these guys did not play together. So yeah, when you're, when you're bringing them into this season and then you're adding Alex Lynn, but he was here two years ago and he said, Oh, Alex should, he should just be able to fit in. Well, that's, that's just not the case because he's playing with a whole different group of guys. Absolutely. I mean, they're still your core, but there, he really was playing with a whole new group of guys. And so when you look at the rotation, you're looking at Davion, you're looking at Ty, uh, I mean, not Ty, but you're looking at uh, uh, Mo, you're looking at Tristan Thompson or Alex Lynn, one of those two. It, it, those guys are playing in every single game. And if you're only playing a nine-man rotation or an eight-and-a-half-man uh, rotation and four of them are new, that that does take time. Four or five are new. That It, it takes time to figure out. And, oh, by the way, Halliburton is a second-year player. You know, so it's not like he's – he knows who he is exactly as an NBA player, 
we think we know who he is as an NBA player. So I just think, you know, again, it, it's going to take a little bit of time for this team to settle in. Um, I don't think they have bad pieces. I do think that they're doing some good things. You know, I think Walton tried something in the Dallas game where he, he left Fox in, in the third and let him finish out the third. And he was so good midway through the third. He just kept attacking, attacking, attacking. And then his last three minutes in the third was just some of the worst basketball I've seen him play. And he just like fell apart. And like, I don't know if he was tired or what, but like there, you're going to have these moments where it's like, okay, I tried something. I tried to go with Fox a little bit longer to ride what he was doing because he's the one guy who was actually finishing in the in the, in the paint where, you know, they couldn't hit a three point shot at all. So you, you try to continue on what you're doing. And I think he just ran out of steam. He turned the ball over a couple of times. He missed some free throws, like just overall, I thought it was like a mess in this small window and like bad pull-ups, you know, I think he had a 17 foot pull-up with like, you know, 20 something seconds left on the shot clock. It was just like, wow, like yeah. none of this makes sense. Like it felt, everything felt rushed. Everything felt out of sorts. And that's where I'm kind of at with this team. They just, they're, they're playing, you know, they, they're holding their own three and three is fine, but they're just missing here and there. And it kind of brings us to, you know, how many cylinders are they firing on? Because we have already mentioned Fox. We've already mentioned Halliburton. Neither one of them are having like breakout first couple of games. And then Terrence Davis has just been a total mess. And I, I feel for him. Like he, Luke can't even put him in the second half in half the games now. So you're seeing him, his minutes are going lower and lower and the way he plays, it's almost like, man, if you don't hit your first shot, then I, we're not going to be able to play you because you're going to miss a couple more. And by the time you go out of the game, we're going to be in a hole. So just, is there anything that you're seeing that, that makes you think that, you know, Terrence just needs a little bit more time or just needs out one game? Yeah, I mean, they want him to shoot the ball. I mean, they want him to shoot. They almost give him a green light like yeah. Buddy has. Um, but I feel like <laughs> Buddy's capable of getting that shot off a lot quicker, whereas Terrence just thinks it looks a little bit more methodical. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it's a slow release by any means, but Terrence has is, is, got such a leaping ability to where he almost can shoot it over anybody. And for whatever reason, the shots just aren't there. Like one of the things I would point out about Terrence like last year, and it bothered me. <laughs> Terrence Davis could come to the Kings as the new guy on the team and just chuck. Like shots where that he would just, I mean, yeah. I don't want to use the expression ball hog, but to the point where really Buddy was so in his head last year and he wasn't really shooting like he is right now, like, like Buddy was trying to be the facilitator. And I was like, Buddy Heald needs to take these shots. He needs to take shots. Even if he's struggling, whatever, just take these shots. And Terrence Davis is like, you guys are leaving me shots to take. And the guy, he had a few games when he first got here where he was leading the teams in, in, in field goal attempts. And I'm like, how does that happen? How does, how does, and that was more indicative of Buddy Heald and Harrison Barnes because those guys, you know, Harrison, I always get on because the guy doesn't, he's, he's, he's doing what Luke Walton and myself. I mean, these are things that I've said about Harrison. He needs to play like he's one of the best players on the team offensively. He needs to be like that guy. And we're seeing that he's been so good. Terrence Davis had that attitude when he got here from, from Toronto last year. And he's like, you guys are giving me shots. I'm, I'm taking them. I'm not seeing that. And I don't know if it's a confidence because I don't think he lacks confidence. I think it's just a, a, like right now. And I think it speaks great 
for Luke Walton. Like I think things are going really well with continuity, kind of bringing it back to Fox just a little bit. How often did we talk about De'Aaron Fox playing at a level and like, this is the level he has to play with in order for this team to have to sustain success. Right. We think about that stretch in, in January, February, when he was right before the all-star break and he was playing phenomenally. I mean, he was putting up 30 points a game. The scoring was off the charts, but he was an efficient player. Um, But knowing that he needed to score, if he didn't score, they weren't winning games. This is an interesting stretch right now, even though it is albeit a small sample size, when you're going through these Western conference opponents, most of which have all been playoff teams. And you think about De'Aaron Fox, not playing well, Tyrese Halliburton, not playing well, but they're still finding ways to remain a 500 team. Boy, that gives somebody that gives a Kings fan really good uh, something really to be encouraged about maybe in December, the nights when you're showing like if Fox becomes what we know what Fox can be, yep. if Terrence Davis comes, what becomes what Terrence Davis can be. If Tyrus Halliburton starts playing more consistently, if these guys can put that together, what does that look like in December? So I think it is kind of a blessing in disguise that they are going through some of these trials and tribulations with these guys, because you have guys like Harrison Barnes, who's playing out of his mind right now. It, what does that look like in December? Even if he t- tends to wane a little bit, it, you know, Buddy playing as well as he's played and being that 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 offensive force that 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 microwave off the bench that that you're yeah. hoping Terrence Davis can be as well. So I think it is interesting that they, even with these struggles, that they're able to still be a 500 team and pull off some of these wins that ordinarily we probably wouldn't see them do. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to like about what we're seeing. Um, you know, on our list of things to talk about, we're going to talk about this really quickly, Sean. Um, somebody asked me on Twitter, Hey, what goes into the, the decision to play Tristan Thompson or Alex Lynn? Mm. And I like, to me, it was like, it, the answer is so simple. It, it is actually as simple as it sounds. If the other team has a tall guy, then Alex Lynn is going to play. If the other team has a stocky guy, then Tristan Thompson's going to play. Like that's, it's that basic. Like if yeah. you're up against Rudy Gobert and Hassan Whiteside, then Tristan Thompson is not going to see a lot of action. It's going to be Alex Lynn. If you're up against Valanchunas, it's going to be Alex Lynn. If you're up against a team like Dallas, it's running a bunch of stick figures out there that aren't going to score in the post. Maxi Kleba, we're coming at you. <laughs> yeah. Or the Willie Cauley Stein. Yes. Yeah. Powell, I mean, Dwight Powell. Yeah. Dwight Powell. I mean, if you're going up against those guys, number one, none of them shoot the three well. And well, I mean, some of them, how, do. Would, it, how would it have been different though, if Christoph Porzingis had played that game, because he's like this big stick, you know what I mean? He's not the most physical, but he's enormous. Yeah. I mean, I think the Kings probably use, uh, use Rashawn Holmes on him like the whole game. Right. And I think that's fine. And, and so basically Sean, like Rashawn Holmes has been so good. Like, uh, like if you're missing out on what he's doing, he's, he's had all but one game and double figure rebounds. He's got a double double. And I think all, but either one or two games in the first six, uh, he's averaging like over 16 points and over 10 rebounds a game. He's averaging like 1.8 blocks per game. He's giving you energy. He's giving you everything you need at the rim. Um, to me, like he's been so good. And I actually, it's, they're not running a Hydra. It's more of like a two headed monster, but it's just, who's the second head every game. And so, you know what I mean? And I, yeah, it's by committee right now. I mean, like you mentioned, I I, I think Luke Walton called out Dallas for playing soft, or excuse me, the Kings for playing soft in Dallas, that that first unit. 
And that's why he went, he went to Tristan. He did the same thing with Alex Lynn in the two games. Again, more sizable opponents, like you mentioned, James, but it was, those are your brutes. Those are your goons. Those are your guys yeah. who are coming in here. And, and I, you know, I would lump Mo Harkless into that category. He's just not as big, but Mo Harkless gets up in you. He's just, unfortunately, he's just not that consistent force on the, on the three point corner that you would like him to be, but he's such an intelligent player and he plays with such physicality that I, it, I lump him in that same group. And if people, you know, you mentioned it earlier in this podcast, James, if they're not paying attention and they haven't seen that Marvin Bagley isn't playing, well, these are reasons why that Marvin Bagley, albeit needs to develop if he's not necessarily part of your plans and can't really make you better per se, they're going in the way of guys that, because obviously Marvin is a little softer than some of these guys when it comes to a physicality standpoint. So Mm -hmm. they're going with guys that can make a difference. And, you know, I used to joke about Hassan Whiteside like last year where yes, Hassan, was obviously a blemish on the radar, but the other teams respected him. He's such a huge force that when he is in there, people aren't coming into the paint so much. The same can be said with Alex Len. The same can be said with Tristan Thompson to a lesser extent. Uh, these guys have come in and they played the role well. I can see a lot of games this year where we're not going to see Tristan Thompson off the bench. And then all of a sudden, a third game into the road trip, whatever he's brought in. For that reason, completely alone i'm i was curious i don't know that he would have even gone to tristan thompson at any point in that game well i think we could have seen an, a seven guard a seven man rotation against dallas that game he may not have even thought to have gone to tristan and i think mainly because he knew porzingis was on the bench and offensively you don't really have to respect willie collie stein and dwight powell and i think that's probably what luke was looking at but the minute that dallas punched him in the mouth things had to change yeah. And then you saw Tristan come in and just bully, bully those guys all over the court. I mean, to me, uh, and, and then Tristan Thompson was so good. He has been so good with the media. Uh, he's funny. He's witty. Um, and then he, he just has a mannerism. Uh, he does. It's funny. It's the Canadian connection with him and Corey Joseph. Yeah. Like they are good dudes. Like that's what you get from them. Like they're good Canadian guys. You're just like, you would like, like to hang out with them and chill. Um, and, and so like when I was listening to his post game, he was just so good about like, look, I I'm here to, I'm going to be the biggest cheerleader Sacramento has ever seen. Like, that's my job. My job is to be a good dude is to support my guys, whether I'm playing or not. And if I'm in the game, then I better be ready. And we've seen that so many times over the course of the last yeah, when go he ahead. said that, when he said that, I was like thinking, I was like Dante Green just swerve off the road somewhere. Like when it came to being the biggest cheerleader Sacramento I've ever seen, like Dante Green, I think it, Dante Green, Mateen Cleaves, those are the two in my mind's eye. And it's like, hey, if I if, if he's going to be the biggest cheerleader that the Kings fans have ever seen, he'll play that part. Good, good on him because he, he not only does he want to play, but he's going to support his team every step of the way. It was, it's really refreshing to see. It is refreshing, especially from a veteran guy, and he doesn't seem like he said it multiple times. Like I really like Sacramento. There's nothing to say that I won't be here for past this season. Like I'm having a good time. I love this team. Everyone here is cool. Like I'm having a good time. So I I don't know. It's interesting. Just, just him in a nutshell, like he's so different than most of the veterans that we've seen come in through Sacramento and he's played, he's played really well. Like when given the opportunity, I think he's, you know, there aren't, he's not going to score 13 points, whatever he did the other night, every game. Um, But he just gives you a toughness. He gives you something. I mean, the Kings won the rebounding battle. Didn't he only have like five boards in that game? I was like, I remember looking, I was like, you had 13 and five. 
because the guy's a walking board. He can get you an offensive rebound like no one's business. I was and, watching. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. Did, he didn't have more than five boards. I was you know, blown away by that because all he did was clear everybody out, and yeah. Harrison Barnes flew in for the rebounds. I mean, Harrison Barnes again is averaging over ten boards a game. I mean, what Harrison Barnes is doing is nuts, but he's having that opportunity to really shine. So, and, and you know, he he couldn't hit his three like everyone else couldn't hit their three against Dallas, but it is what it is. All right. So we're going to get to our, our uh, segment on the business of basketball. Um, these segments, you know, sometimes like with Jerry, we, it was really cool. We talked about some, uh, some like the dynamics of the NBA draft and, you know, bringing product uh, prospects in, um, you know, like, like he had some really cool stories about like people who didn't know that they were in California when they flew to Sacramento and we're like, Hey, why are all the license plates say California? It's like, cause you're in California. <laughs> like you're in the capital of California. That's a, um, see, to me, that's a red flag. If, if a dude it, said that it's like, Oh, you know what? Maybe the intelligence isn't off the charts right here. Yeah. He actually said it that way. He's like, you know, he's not exactly a guy you'd want to have making a major decision in a fourth quarter. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, there's gonna be that. Right. So um, but like overall, the conversation was really good. I, I think when Sean and I do this, I, I think what we're going to do is uh, the business of basketball segments. There will be times where we talk about basketball, but other times where I think we're going to give you like a, an inside look into who Sean and I are uh, as people. And um, because we've known each other for so long, we do have a, we know a lot of each other's stories. Um, Sean teased last week about or maybe I inadvertently teased about um, his Paris Hilton story, which I think doesn't Paris Hilton have a new show, uh, on, on the Peacock, I believe where it's Paris Hilton in love. Um, yeah, yeah. So we're not promoting Paris Hilton's show because I don't know (laughs) Paris Hilton. I have never saved her life, but according to Paris Hilton, Sean Cunningham has saved her life. So Sean, why don't you give us the, uh, again, I like, we're going to talk about these random stories. Sean and I are both (laughs) concert like like we're crazy concert people we'll uh, we'll get into that later but tell us about Paris Hilton so I'm in Vegas uh I should know the year but all you have to know is it's it's the year when the Palm Trio was out that was my phone <laughs> uh so this is a while ago and I'm working at KHDK but I had a weekend I had a I went to Vegas for VMA weekend VMA weekend MTV VMAs was just incredible all of Vegas turned into everywhere you went was a concert every single night and case in point this will also give you an idea of what year it was. 50 Cent came out with the album Curtis. And it was an album release party at the Hard Rock Hotel, which is now the Virgin, the guy who owns Virgin Records. What's his name? The guy with the crazy hair, Richard Branson. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he now owns uh, the Hard Rock Hotel and changed up the name. So there's a, if you've ever been there, there's a big pool party in the back, great atmosphere. And we walk, I get tickets to this thing. It's me, my cousin, <clears throat> my friend, John Duarte, and this girl that I, I met up with in Vegas. <clears throat> uh, her name is Stephanie. And this is 2007. I looked it up. While is we it 2007? Okay. 2007. So 2007. Give me one second. I clear my throat. All right, there we go. So we go out to this pool party and it's a concert. It's going to be a concert for 50 cent. But what I didn't see is when we come out there, there's a little side kind of stage as well. And this band angels and airwaves is there. And I'm like, okay, well, if you know Angels and Airwaves, that's Blink-182. Um, lead singer Blink-182 started his own band. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't even know they were going to be there. Watch a little bit of that. We work our way up. If you can think of a stage 
into like the like into like a, a pit where there's a back ro- back area backstage area there's a ledge that's over the top of it and there where there's like a balcony so people on this balcony can watch the concert from behind and there's like tables and stuff up there and overlook the entire pool area so we get to where right next to side stage and there's an area to go in the into the into the uh backstage area it's set up like a beach so we are technically like in this sandy area and there's a bunch of lounge chairs like like sun chairs where people would get suntans and stuff i wouldn't know anything about that because i'm pale but people would sun out (laughs) now this is all at night so the sun isn't out no one's using these chairs but we're standing there there's the entrance to the backstage i can see sean marion back there basketball story so former phoenix suns i saw floyd mayweather jr back there and so we're hanging out we can't get back there i don't have a pass for that but we're just kind of taking it all in seeing the side stage of the concert things are going great all of a sudden while 50 cent and Ludacris are on this on the stage with with uh, tony yayo and all this other stuff uh i noticed there's a woman walking over those lounge chairs my i should preface this by saying my cousin and john duarte went to go get drinks i'm there with stephanie we're standing there and they're going to bring us back some drinks I noticed this woman climbing over these, these, these sun chairs because it is a little bit crowded. And then all of a sudden she just eats it right in front, just takes a header right into the, into the sand. I help her up, not knowing who she was at first, and it ends up being Paris Hilton. I'm like, oh my God, right as, she, right as I help her up, there's somebody who threw something at her and it hit her on the wrist. Uh, and it looked like it could have been like a quarter or something like that but some kind of coin or something hits her on the wrist. So, uh, and that was from somebody who was up on the ledge behind us. And she goes, she's someone's throwing S at me, blah, blah, blah. And I go, yeah, are you okay? And she goes, yeah. She grabs me by my wrist, takes me into that entryway where I couldn't have been able to get in there. I grab Stephanie by her wrist, we go in. So now it's like this, this you think you're do-si-do, like all three of us, like arm in arm, go in the back. We get back there right as the minute we get back there coming down the stage is ludicrous. It's like, and she gives ludicrous a hug, introduces us to ludicrous. She goes, this is my friend. He saved me. I said, how you doing? Just, you know, ludicrous, whatever he walks, he walks off, shakes hands. He goes to get some drink. The backstage area is not very big at all. It's still outdoors. There's a canopy over it. It's very, very small. I look at Stephanie and I'm like, you got to take a picture. So she, so I take a picture with Paris allegedly gave her my phone she, she it looked like she took it she's like, okay got it so paris says, just stay here i'm gonna get some drinks she walks to go get some drinks starts mingling i go hey let me see that picture i'm looking over at this point john duarte and my cousin dan are now back they're looking at me going how the f did you get back there like get us back there Let, and i'm like i don't know paris just brought us back there so i'm sitting there i go hey let me see that picture <laughs> mind you myspace was a thing back then i look at <laughs> i look at the picture i'm going to try and post it on myspace really fast and say this just happened Stephanie didn't take the picture. And I'm like, looking at her, I'm like, how do you F that up? No one's going to believe me, this whole thing, right? This, like, this crazy chance encounter. So she's over there getting a drink. I'm like, F it. I grab the phone, my palm trio. I go over there. It's very difficult to take a selfie with a palm trio. But I walk up to Paris Hilton, tap her on the shoulder. She looks back at me, doesn't see my, <laughs> doesn't see my phone. And she starts dancing back into me like she's almost grinding on me. And I'm like... Paris Hilton is now dancing, grinding, corning into, into me. No one's going to believe it. So I'm just like, whatever. And I take the picture, which James will probably share at some point. I sent it to James so he can see it. 
not the greatest picture, but you can totally tell it's her and I. Moments after that, I'm trying to see if I can get my cousin Dan and everything. It, this all happens in the span of like three to four minutes. All of a sudden, the music just stops. What had been happening was Floyd Mayweather was on the on the stage and he was throwing money into this pool of people, uh, you know, crowd. And it got a little chaotic. The music stops. And all I hear from backstage is 50 Cent yelling, if you don't get out of the water, you're going to MFing die. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And I look over. I look over from a, from the side and the front of the stage is about to fall into the water with these big lights that are all electrical and stuff. And you think of those like electrical steel towers that are like latticed. I don't know if you know what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about, but like, but you have these light kits. And I remember vividly seeing this one security guard who has his arm wrapped around one of the, the lattices that's angling towards the water. And another one around this like steel post that where the stage isn't going down and it's literally like pulling him apart one an arm and arm one's going down he's just screaming and these everyone it's just like a chaotic scene it flees um people kind of getting out of the water you literally hear people get out of the water get out of the water this concert stops and i just remember walking out and there's sean marion <laughs> he's just like oh my god like he looks like something just bad happened Fortunately, no one was hurt. Nothing happened bad at that point. And I also lost Paris Hilton in that. She went into this club, which was, I think it was Body English or Dow. I always get it confused uh, which one's which, but we weren't dressed for that. She's able to go in there. I couldn't get in there. And that's my Paris Hilton story. There it is. <laughs> it, it, it's, it sounds so much like, um, was it the movie Game Night? Where the the one girl says she slept with Denzel Washington and then they yes. see the picture and it's like, Oh no, honey, that's not Denzel. That's not Denzel. Did he say his name was Denzel? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> I was wondering why he had an apartment. Like, yeah, not good. Yeah. But Sean's uh, yeah. It's a good story, Sean. It's a good oh, it's, story. It was such a blast that weekend was a blur, but I remember so much about it. And uh, yeah, it was, I've never seen her since then, so I'd love to bring that story up, and she probably wouldn't even remember. But yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, that's for sure. Somewhere she has a T-shirt of you saving her. It's, hey, yeah. this is my friend. He saved me. She didn't even know my name. This is my friend. He saved me. That's right. Well, and she introduced you to Ludacris, so that's all that matters in What's the up, end. Luda? Yeah, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> all right. So again, the business of basketball. Uh, this has nothing to do with basketball, but that's okay. We're gonna we're gonna let you in on our window a little bit. I mean, I think everyone knows if if you followed me long enough that I build stuff. Uh, Sean was joking about it earlier. I'm building a podcast platform right here in front of me and and everything else. But uh, yeah, you'll get to know us a little bit better, which is kind of the point. That's the point of the King's Beat is to do things differently, to give you a different look into who and what we are as people uh, while you're following us along this uh, on this journey. So, uh, Sean, I think that's that's it for today. I don't think we have anything else. Bruin, you got anything for me? I was hoping you were gonna you were gonna you're, you talk about your bar, man. You you of all these things you built, your bar is like incredible. No, my bar is cool. Um, we're gonna you know what, Sean, we're gonna save that for okay the people who do the uh, the uh, Kings Beat Happy Hour. They're gonna I get like to it. see James's bar. Uh, my bar is pretty cool. Um, it's different. Um, it's it's a full fledged. It's a full-fledged sports bar. Yeah, I did yeah. build it. I have nothing in my home that I built. I, yeah. I, 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 maybe an Ikea shelf, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been it. Hey, that's, that takes some 
some That's... skill. I've, I've built my fair share of Ikea stuff <laughs> because I have children, but yeah, yeah, it takes some skill to do that. But yeah, well, maybe I'll walk people through the bar. Um, I blew my two, uh, my two kegs. And so I've got new kegs coming on Friday, um, Newcastle. And I think I'm doing a, um, blue moon, blue moon will mm. be my second beer. Yeah. I don't drink a lot of beer, but I always have for, for guests. You have it ready. Yep. Yeah. I have it ready. All right. So again, if you're enjoying what we're doing here at the King's Beat, uh, number one, subscribe on, uh, what is it? iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, give us a rating and a review that helps us always. It helps drive us up, uh, the, the rankings. We're already moving up the rankings, which is awesome to see. Um, we're going to keep doing this. You're going to get a podcast on Tuesday and either Thursday or Friday. I'm going to try to do it on Thursdays moving forward. Uh, that's going to be more of an interview style with someone other than Sean. Sometimes Sean will join me, uh, but we're going to play that, those by, you know, week by week. Um, and then if you get a chance, subscribe to the King's Beat. It's a cool newsletter. Uh, it's where I'm going to be doing all of my writing. I wrote my first Sunday musings uh, this week. So if you if you follow me at, during my Cowbell Kingdom days, I had a Sunday musings column for, I don't know, four or five years. And uh, when I left there, I, it kind of got shelved. And so that's back where I'm going to write a little bit more personal stuff, a little bit more uh, you know, column, you know, big picture stuff. So, so make sure to give us a, a subscription there, subscribe. Uh, if you like what we're doing, uh, we are going to lock some of this content eventually, uh, like in the next couple of weeks, we're going to start locking some stuff down. So, uh, paid subscriptions are always welcome. And, uh, so, so if you have time and you have a, a little bit of extra cash, just know that, we're doing this a different way this time around. And uh, it does require some help from the people who, who digest this content. Um, Sean, do you have any final thoughts? I feel for you as an A's fan, because I know you're an A's fan oh. and you don't have Bob Melvin. I know that's probably a kick to the nuts right now. So I apologize, but I had, I was oh. going to ask you, man, what, what, what happened there? What are you thinking? Oh, it's the beginning of the end. Wait, oh. I mean, this is, this is how you strip down a franchise and make things uh, you know, you pack it up. It's easier to pack up a franchise and move it if, you, if you've if you already uh, started to dump all your stars and everything else. So I think it's the beginning of the end. I think it'll be Chapman and Olsen and Pitchers and Manaya mm-hmm. and, and Montez and like all those guys next. Uh, it, it's going to be a, a bloodletting. So sad. Who do you want as manager? Got a well, name out there? I would, I would assume it'd be Marcotze, but um, – yeah, I mean he's been there. Um, yeah. They all, also Ryan Christensen is there, wh- who's been around for a while. I mean he's been in the A's organization for a while. He had a little bit of a snafu uh, there, like uh, two years ago, I think. But uh, I think he's moved past that. Um, you know, it's just a bummer because I got yeah. to cover Bob. I got to go into those, yep. you know, those meeting rooms, and and Bob is a good dude. And he's yeah. great. He, it, interacting with him is unlike interacting with many managers in baseball, and he was always a pleasure. And I hate to see him as a Giants fan in the NL West. Two names I like out there for you: Bobby Crosby. Okay, possible. And and, and here's a here's a holy s name. Ready? What about Bruce Bochy? Yeah, but Bochy's not coming back for a bad team. And I don't think this is going to be a good team. It's not so, going to be a good team. No, I, I mean, I, I think it is, it is what it is at this point. You you're uh, there's a good chance that they're going to blow this thing up and maybe I'm wrong. I, I hope I'm not, but I mean, if you're giving away a manager and you're not asking for anything back in return, 
um, then then that's unfortunate. So yeah, Adam Rosales is another one I'm thinking of, but oh, we'll hustle man, yeah, hustle man. Nobody yeah. ran out a home run like Adam Rosales. <laughs> yeah, I've got a Bobby Crosby autograph bat. Oh yeah, he was going to be the uh, manager with with Stockton, and then he when everything kind of went funky, he ended up in Double A Midland. So I think mm. uh, he could he could be a name. Yeah, there we go. All right, well that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Beat Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. For Sean Cunningham, I'm James Ham. We'll see you very soon.